Well, good morning. We're ready for the next epidemic in the series this morning. You know, one of the things that we're going to look at today, this, this idea of lack of true community, and this is something that is pervasive in the church of Jesus Christ. In fact, when you talk to people, probably more than at any time in church history, believers are looking for this, this, this true community, a place to belong, somebody to share life with you and for you to share your life with and this uh, importance. In fact, one writer said this, when churches fail to build community, church just becomes another item on your list that sucks the life out of you. (laughs) And uh, I don't know if you've ever felt that way about any church that you've been in before, but it's happening all across the world. This idea that it becomes this, this one item in your week that you've got to go to that, quite frankly, you could take or leave from time to time. And um, it's, it's interesting because in an age where we're more connected than ever, we're less connected where it really matters, community. You know, just because somebody likes your post on Facebook or Instagram doesn't mean that you're connecting and doing life with them. And we all know that from experience. And so this morning, what I want to look at is the early church. And what I don't want to do is I don't want to hold up the early church as some perfect example with no problems. In fact, if you were here last week, we looked at how many problems the early church had. We looked at how many conflicts they have. So that's, that's not what my focus is going to be here. As we, uh, if you want to join me in Acts chapter 2, what I want to focus on is, is this community that they had. And what I want you to focus on as we're studying through is I want you to notice what they're occupied with. In other words, if you can detect what the early church's mindset was on, what did they value? What was important to them? And I think as we look at that, what we're going to see is, is there were certain things that were important to them. True community flowed out of those things. So when we talk about true community, we're not talking about, well, we need to schedule some more potlucks or we need to come up with some artificial forced event. You know, many times that's how we think. We, we think, man, we've got a problem. We don't have community or we want our community to be even tighter. So what we're going to do is we're going to start scheduling this get together once a week for, I, I went to a church one time. It was, it was the most comical thing. It was a huge, huge church, mega church. We were just visiting, but we were trying to find our Sunday school class. And it literally, as you walk down the hall, there was a class for 30 to 34 year olds. And walk down the hall, there's a class for 35 to 39-year-olds. And then class for 40 to 42. Somehow there was only two years in that group for some reason. And, and you had all of these separate, different classes. And you know, what are they trying to do? Well, they're trying to build community, but they're establishing these artificial boundaries, trying to come up with it with these self-reliant strategies. And what we're going to see as we look at the early church is they just thought correctly. They their mind was on the word of God. They, they had right thinking. And when they didn't have right thinking, they were challenged by the word of God. They exposed themselves and valued the teaching of the word of God to change their thinking. And then out of right thinking, developed natural community and fellowship. And that's what we're going to see in this passage. And so beginning in verse 30, uh, 42, we'll read there. Acts chapter 2. In verse 42, we read this, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, in fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and in prayers. 
And so we've, we see this word continued steadfastly, very important word to this passage because it really sets the stage for what they did, how they thought, what was important to them, you might say. The word means to tarry. And that's an old word. It just means to hang around, right? To, to stay around. It means to remain somewhere, to cleave faithfully to someone. And so as you look at the verse, you're going to see that there's two things that they continue steadfastly in. In fact, it looks like there's four, but what we're going to see is, is one of the things is the apostles' doctrine, and the, the second thing is fellowship. And then those last two things, breaking in bread and in prayers, just with the structure of the language, seem to expand on what the fellowship looked like. So there's two things, the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. And so that first thing, the apostles' doctrine, this is the, the Greek word didache. It just means the act of teaching, uh, instructing, and tutoring. And it's really interesting to note that when people value the teaching of the Word of God, and they do that through the choices they make and the priorities they set, it's really interesting how the Lord, over the course of history, has taken that teaching, that sound doctrine, and unified people in heart and mind. Unified them in such a way that they begin to share life with one another. And we've said this multiple times, but it's probably wise to say again that when things are well in the vertical relationship with God, that's the basis for things going well in horizontal relationships. Typically, when you see conflict or issues in horizontal relationships, you can go right back to the vertical. Something's off in somebody's vertical relationship. In other other words, they're out of fellowship with the Lord. Because when we're in fellowship with the Lord and we're walking by means of the Spirit, it's at that point as we're enjoying Jesus Christ that he's going to take our eyes and he's going to cast it out horizontally so that we can do the one another's of Scripture. That's the goal. That's one of the goals of the local church. And so it all starts with teaching. And so we see that the apostles spent time teaching the word of God. Now we know in their day, obviously the New Testament had not been written. They were, they were writing it. They were in the process of putting that together. And so they were teaching the Old Testament, showing different truths and, 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 and awesome things about their Messiah and showing how this came true. But also God was giving them direct revelation through prophecy. He was revealing the mystery of the church. He was revealing the, the mystery of Christ in you, hope of glory. All of those things were coming through prophecy, and they were teaching the saints all of these things. And so they spent time teaching the word of God. They spent time building the disciples up in the faith. You know, we always talk about faith as if it's a nebulous thing. And so we say, walk by faith, walk by faith, don't walk by sight. What does that mean? Well, part of what it means is that you need to be taught and, and study and, and engage and interact with the word of God because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so if we're not exposing ourselves to the teaching of the word of God, how can we grow in faith? How can we, how can we grow in our ability to trust the Lord? When things hit you on Monday afternoon, do you fret all week about it? Or at that moment, do you say, you know what? This would be a great time to trust the Lord. This would be a great time to depend upon the resources that I have in Christ. I don't have to worry about X, Y, Z because I've got a God who's put everything in place that I can walk in dependence upon him. God wants to figure it out for you. God wants to lead you by the hand. And we want to trust him. And part of the teaching of the word of God on a consistent basis is going to encourage you to do so. It's going to challenge you in areas. It's going to challenge me in areas where we're walking carnally, thinking carnally, trying to handle our issues carnally. We're trusting in our own self-reliance strategies. And let's just cut to the chase. Those don't work. Not only, not only they are, are they against what God wants you to do, but they don't even work. They don't even work. It's crazy. 
You know, if I wanted to play center for the Boston Celtics, you know, if I go hang on a pole for the next three years, it's not going to make me any taller, right? So why would I go hang on a pole? I used to think that as a teenager, by the way. Sometimes I'd get up there and stretch. Well, maybe it worked. I don't know. No, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. And so they valued this, the teaching of the Word of God. You know, interesting story. There was a seminary course on the New Testament. And, um, and the seminary professor told the students, there's going to be assignments. He's going through the syllabus. He says, but our group project this year is we're going to go through the entire New Testament We're going to categorize every area of truth, and we're going to determine what are the topics that the Bible deals with most in the New Testament. And so, you know, he lets the students, well, let's just guess, let's hypothesize what that topic, that number one topic is going to be when we get through. And some people said, I think it's going to be love. I think love is going to be the number one topic that the New Testament emphasizes. And somebody else says, I think it's going to be joy. Or I think it's going to be rejoicing. That's a related word. And so they all took their guesses. And at the end of the semester, they were shocked. Because you know what the number one topic in the New Testament is? Is, is, is um, opposition to false teaching. Rejecting false doctrine. Being aware of false doctrine. And so as we see this, this early church devoted, tarrying, staying, not saying, hey, pre- hey preacher, it's 12 o'clock, you know, the game's on, just get it over with and let's get out of here, right? It wasn't, wasn't that kind of mindset. It was, they were there. And we're going to find out later as we get down into 46 that they were doing it daily. They were doing it daily. That's, that was the value. And I'm not, I'm not saying we should meet daily, right? Because we'd have time to do the work of the ministry too, right? If we're just in here Bible studying all the time, we don't actually get out. But the, but the point is this, I, wanna, I want you to see their heart behind it. They valued this. This was important to them. They prioritized their schedule to be there for this. They, they were getting something out of it. We also see that this, this emphasis later in the New Testament, the doctrine and the teaching of it was a very important aspect of the daily church life and community. In fact, when Paul is instructing young pastors as to how to lead churches, Timothy and Titus, you're going to see the emphasis of the pastoral epistles on doctrine, sound doctrine. And doctrine has become a four-letter word in the church of today because we think that nobody wants to hear it. And, it's, and it doesn't matter, in a sense, what people want to hear. We have to be convinced that this is what we all need to hear. This, is, this has a, an impact and effect on us that goes beyond just, you know, learning how to parse Greek verse. That's not what we're talking about there. We're talking about understanding the Word of God and allowing that to impact the way that we think and the way that we approach our Christian life. And that's got to be done in a systematized way, verse by verse, line by line, in context where it makes sense um, so that we can be persuaded by it and believe it and actually rely upon it in our daily life. So in other words, as a community, they were receiving the apostles' teaching. And again, via the Old Testament, also via prophecy. And this is huge. This is huge. I, I, don't, want to, um, I don't want it to turn this into a legalistic thing, okay? And, and what I mean by that is when, when people hear this, they say, well, I, I guess he's saying we should listen to more sermons online. Well, I guess he's saying I should read my Bible more. Well, I guess he's saying that I, you know, I come, you know, I try to come to church three times a month. Maybe I should try to come four. That's not what I'm saying at all. I, I am actually trying to get to a heart issue for each one of us. And honestly, that's between you and the Lord. That's not between me and you. 
That's not between the elders and you. This is between you and the Lord. Do you, as Peter says, do you hunger for the word of God like a, a, a baby desires the sincere milk of his mother? You ever, you ever watched a hungry baby nursing? I mean, they look like they're about to tear something up. I mean, they're, they're, they're so ravaged. I mean, they, they're just looking, and whether it's the bottle or the, or the mom, they're, you know, they're just looking, and, they're, and their mouth is open, and they're just like, like almost freaking out, you know, <laughs> looking for the milk. What a great illustration. And I, and I just encourage you and challenge you to think, and again, it's between you and the Lord, do you value the word of God that much? Is that something that's important to you? Is that something that you prioritize in your life? Now look at the second thing that he says in verse 42 that they continued steadfastly in. And it's, it's in the area of fellowship, true fellowship, and this word is, is the Greek word koin, koinonia. You've probably heard it before. And it literally means to share in. It means participation. It means you, sh- you share with one another. And in this case, we're talking about sharing our lives with one another, being involved with one another. In fact, we, we looked at a sermon months ago about the one another's of Scripture, just having that in mind that, that, that one of the purposes for the local church is to one another one another, right? If we can use that as a verb is to be involved in the one anothering of one another. And so the believers here literally shared or in or participated in each other's lives, um, including the apostles. Now we're going to see some details of what they shared in here in a second, but the idea that's communicated here is that they had true community. And I'm going to propose to you today that on the basis of sound doctrine and on the basis of a unified mission, out of those two things comes true community, not just scheduling more potlucks. Not just scheduling Bible studies for the 30 to 34-year-olds. Not just whatever other things that we come up with to try to force artificially and make community happen. It's, it's a mindset where we're like-minded and it, and it flows out of that like-mindedness. Where we rejoice in the teaching of the Word of God. Where we rejoice in what God is teaching us. What God is correcting in our thinking. Things that we've never seen before. Greatness of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Who He is. What He's done. What He's accomplished. What He wants to mean to you in your daily life. Those are the things that we get excited about. Not the Atlanta Falcons. Not scrapbooking. Not bowling. Not my job promotion. Those are not the things to get excited about. Those, all are, those are all things that perish with the using. See, we've got a Savior who died for you and rose again. We've got a Savior who wants to lead you by the hand in this life. We've got a Savior who's done everything to provide you with fellowship in your daily life. When life stinks, and let's be honest, it does a lot of the time, you've got someone who can be there with you that sticks closer than a brother. That's Jesus Christ. That's what he wants for us. But it all starts here via sound doctrine, via fellowship with other saints. You can't design a program for community. You, you can't. People try it all the time, and, it, and it's forced. It's weird. It's like going out on a blind date. It's just, it's like, it's just a little awkward. It just doesn't work out. And I know someone probably here met on a, <laughs> on a blind date and got married. So it does work out sometimes. But you know the awkwardness of that, that forced sense of where you're, you're trying to force something. We, don't, we can't force community. 
But we can reprioritize our thinking about the teaching of the Word of God, the value of gathering together as saints. And see, when we do this, this can be a, an outflow of our lives. This can be an or- organic, natural outflow of individual believers walking by means of the Spirit, and we can begin to accomplish and see this uh, in our local church body and in church bodies around the world. But it's got to start here. This fellowship is, is further described uh, by two activities. You know, and, and let me just say something about fellowship. This is, this is more than just hanging out. We, we realize that, right? I mean, it, you, know, you, can go, you can go to any bar in town, and there are people hanging out, having a, having a good time together. We're, we're not talking about hanging out. We're talking about an, an intimate fellowship where you're sharing life and you're sharing the Lord. You're sharing the Lord. Anybody can fellowship. We all fellowship around our hobbies. We all fellowship around the things that we like. We're talking about a unique type of fellowship that can only happen with other believers as I'm occupied with Jesus Christ, as you're occupied with Jesus Christ. And we actually promote spiritual growth because we're challenging each other. We're encouraging each other in the Lord. One of the things that you see in the book of Philemon, in fact, turn with me there, hold your place in Acts. We'll come right back. One of the things you see in the book of uh, Philemon is you see this, this word in verse six, and Paul is praying for this for Philemon, but he also indicates that Philemon does this. He, he does this. And it's in verse six, um, Chapter one, because if you got chapter two in Philemon, you got a bad Bible, but it's chapter one, it's verse six in Philemon. And he's, he's in the middle of praying. He says that the sharing of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. Now, a couple things about that verse. The word sharing, when you see that verse, automatically you think that's evangelism. He's sharing his faith because that's how we use it. It's not a verb there. It's a noun. And it's the same word that we're looking at in Acts 2 that means fellowship. In other words, he, they, people were sharing in or, or participating in Philemon's faith. They were, he was fellowshipping them into his faith is, is maybe how you might say that. The other, way, uh, the other thing that's interesting is that this, this act of fellowship in our faith may become effective. And that word effective is the Greek word energes. It may, it may have energy or it may have medicinal values used in the medicine fields of the day. They might, might actually cause impact on other people, might refresh them. But look at how you do it. By sharing the stats of the Atlanta Falcons? Is that how we do it? To show somebody how to stitch a new quilt, is that how we do it? I mean, those are all hobbies. Those are all fine and great. I'm not criticizing hobbies. I'm not, that's not what I'm talking about. But notice the fellowship that he's talking about. The acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. We need to be sharers, fellowshippers of our faith. People are encouraged to hear how you are learning to trust the Lord in your life. I've got a, a really good friend of mine. He'll remain nameless. But every time I talk to him, I get off the phone encouraged. And it's not because he's doing all these great things for the Lord, but in my opinion, he is. But that's not why. It's because as we talk about life, he's a real man 
with real problems who is getting more and more consistent in his ability to take those problems and turn it into an opportunity to trust the Lord. Man, you talk about refreshing my soul. You talk about encouraging. I, I don't, I, being around the perfect model Christian, I, I'm done with those days. I, I don't want to be around the religious, perfect Christian that's got everything in order. I want to know real people who have real problems just like I do, who need the Lord Jesus Christ just like I do. And I want to hear about how they trust the Lord. And I want to hear about what he does to motivate them in life. And I want to hear how they deal with the same things that I deal with and how they turn their mind and their focus and occupation onto Jesus Christ. That's what I want. And I want to be that person for other people because I know what it does for me. It's like drinking a cup of cold water on a hot day. I left Minnesota yesterday morning. It was 40 degrees. I got off the plane. It was 90 (laughs) when I got here. I just wanted a cold drink of water. I just was looking for that. See, that's, that's what we're talking about in fellowship. That's why Paul says to Timothy, you have genuine faith, non-hypocritical faith. You are actually trusting the Lord. And guess what, Timothy? You learned that from your mom and you learned that from your grandmother. You didn't learn, Timothy, from grandma and mom how to crank out the Christian life and to make yourself look good and to, and to cover up all of your mistakes. That's not what he learned. He learned how to trust the Lord. And he learned that from his mom. He saw it as he was growing up. And so this fellowship here in Acts, let's go back to Acts 2, is further described by two activities. And these activities are breaking of bread. We'll see in in verse 42. This is describing again the fellowship and the breaking of bread and then in prayers. And, And breaking of bread, just sharing a meal together. They were sharing meals together. Just represented, especially in that culture, uh, culture and intimate and close fellowship. But also in prayers. And and what I love about this this connection to prayers is it brings another party into the room. God Almighty. As we pray together, corporate prayers, we pray together. Believers are in fellowship with one another. They're agreeing on what we're praying. And we are also in agreement with God's will. And so there's that, there's that fellowship aspect there. And I, I don't know about you, but um, not, not in a bad way, although sometimes it probably is, I like hearing my name mentioned in prayers. When, when I'm praying with somebody and they name me my, my name and they pray for me, I'm like, oh, that's, that's cool. I like that. And, and part of the reason is, is because I know I need prayers <laughs> and, I, and, I, and I appreciate that somebody would take time to mention me to the God of the universe and actually ask something on my behalf. I'm greatly encouraged. And you know what else it does? I kind of like that person a little bit more too. You know, you know how we are. You know, they mention you in prayer, so I kind of gravitate toward that person. I like that person now. They're, they're my friend. You know, because they're praying for me in prayers. And so these are the kind of things that happen uh, when we're in fellowship, when we value the word of God, we're, we're, we're marching in the same direction. These are the kind of outflow things that produce true community. Verse 43, then fear came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. And, and you see in the early church, a lot of wonders and signs and miracles. In fact, we're going to read about one. Or if you kept reading in Acts 3, you're going to see a miracle right there as they approach the temple for this time of teaching. God was validating the apostles' message. They, they had 
a, a new message related on Old Testament scripture, but some of the things that they were revealing were mysteries that had not been revealed before. So how do you know that's good teaching? How do you know that's false teaching? Well, God was using signs and wonders to validate that. And so we see that in verse 43. Jesus predicted that in Matthew 16, that that would be the case. Verse 44, now all who believed were together and all had all things in common. They sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. And that's one of those verses, I think, especially as we study the book of Acts. And, I'm, and I, I bet Pastor Green brought this out when he was teaching through Acts uh, a couple of years ago. There's some things in the book of Acts that are descriptive, but not prescriptive. And what I mean by that is it describes how the outflow of this fellowship worked in their body, but it wasn't designed to tell us that everybody should focus that way. There's no an imperative command to, to be this way. This is, this is something that um, as God motivated them, people were actually selling their properties and giving the entire proceeds to the church and saying, use it however you want to. And then that kind of caught on and became contagious. And in one way, I think it's probably part of the reason, in addition to persecution, that the churches in Judea were always needing money from other churches out there in the empire. They had, they had literally given everything away. We're not going to focus on some of those details as if those are what our church is expected to do. That was how, they, how the outflow of that fellowship worked in that local body at that time. In history. But going on to verse 46, we see this phrase. So continuing daily uh, with one accord, we'll read 47 as well. In the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. And what we're going to see in this passage, there's really a link. There's, there's four participles here that describe the disciples. Okay, so I've got them up there continuing daily, breaking bread, praising God, having favor. That's kind of the the outline of of these two verses. And so let's look at each one of those. And the first one, this idea of continuing daily, and it's it's the same word we just saw in verse 42. It means to tarry, it means to remain. So it has, again, this idea that they were cleaving faithfully, um, not only to the teaching, but with each other. Um, we see there. And so this was something that was a, a daily activity for early believers. And, and again, I'm not, I'm not emphasizing that because I think we should start meeting daily. I mean, that would be, wouldn't that be awesome in some ways if we could? I don't know if our culture would allow it. Um, but this was for them. And the only thing I point out is not necessarily the daily aspect, but what the daily aspect represents in their heart and their thinking, that this was valuable, that this was a priority, that this is where their life was centered in terms of with this group. And there were quite a number of them. We know as we come out of um, Acts 2 and the day of Pentecost, there were at least 3,000 of them. And so this was a, uh, a group gathering, and they continued into that. And this, this temple compound was a natural place for them to meet and gather. It just, it, it had rooms, it had uh, hallways, it had, you know, little areas that they could meet. And so they were, they were probably quite a sight, you know, 3,000 people just kind of moving all together. It probably stood out quite a bit. And so we see from the rest of the book of Acts that, that the Lord used this as opportunities. Acts 3, you know, Peter and John, they're on their way to the temple, probably for one of these, these sessions of teaching and fellowship with one another. And um, in order to validate their message, Peter heals a man. And then he gets to share the gospel 
with more people. So we see the Lord use this, this, this daily meeting, this daily gathering. So we see that they continued daily. It was a priority to them. The second thing we see um, is that they continued daily, and they did so with one accord, one accord. And all the Honda Accord jokes go right here. Insert your Honda Accord joke. But uh, the word accord just meant one mind, um, unanimous consent. They were, they were all together. They were with each other. However you might want to say it, they were bought in. We could say it a million different ways. But they were together in their thinking, in their, in their mission, in their vision, in terms of where they were going. Nobody knew that you had to argue about carpet yet. That we learned that much later in the other epistles. Second hesitations. Yeah. We, we didn't... We didn't learn that you were supposed to get upset. They hadn't learned that if someone gives that person more ham in the line than you, that, you know, that's worth a church split over that. They hadn't learned those things yet. I'm kind of being facetious. No, they were together. They weren't distracted by those things. Uh, give them time. They, they do because people start walking according to the flesh and you start to see conflict in the churches. We looked at that last week. But at this point in time, they were one mind, unanimous, together. This means they all had the same agenda. They had the same mission. They had the same vision. They were all marching in the same direction. They were on the same boat. They were all in. You could say it a million different ways. I've used this picture before, that that's what many churches look like today. One person rowing, two people doing nothing, one girl looking like she's about to jump out of the boat, I, we could put more people in there, somebody with their oars in the water and somebody rowing the opposite direction. And that's what a lot of local churches look like. It should look like this. A well-oiled, well-organized crew team. Anybody know crew? Know that sport? That's a big, I think, up further, further north on the East Coast. They used to have a crew team in a high school I went to in Virginia. So that was kind of, anyways, that's a totally different thing. But, I, but the idea is that you see this unison. You see this, they're rowing the same way. They're working together. They're trying to stay aerodynamic along the way. And they're all working toward a same goal. And you know what? If the apostles were leading the way, and they were, they're going to be leading and casting the same vision that Jesus Christ cast. And we looked at that a couple weeks. What is Jesus Christ doing now? What's on his to-do list? What's on his priority list? He's building his church. This is what life is about. It centers in this mission. And they were with one accord here. Now, how did they do this? Well, it was further described in verse 42 via the teaching of the word of God and the fellowship of the saints. That's how it's done. This is why it's so important. And so as we go on in verse 46, I want you to notice something because at the beginning of verse 46, notice where they're continuing daily with one accord. It's in the temple. Now, what does that next phrase take us? Now they're breaking bread from house to house. They're it goes from the public sphere and it goes now to a private sphere. And so we see this idea of breaking bread from house to house. And what we see there is that there was personal, individual fellowship among people. And it was a direct outflow of being in one accord. And you'll see that the teaching of the word of God, the understanding of the mission of the church is going to have a direct outflow in the fellowship that we have with one another. It, again, it's not forced. It's not artificial. It's going to be organic outflow of believers walking by means of the Spirit. This is what local churches should look like. And we, and we struggle 
with this area. We, it, this is a struggle all over uh, the world. And you know, we've said this before, but you know the world fellowships over hobbies, over entertainment, over money. This should not be the same in the church of Jesus Christ. It is sad, but I have been in churches where the last thing that people want to talk about at the end of the service is Jesus Christ. The very last thing. I, I've, I've been to bar and grills where I can talk about Jesus Christ more with somebody than I've been in some churches in the back of the auditorium. Because it's anything but Jesus Christ. I mean, what do we... What, where else would you think you could talk about Jesus Christ and actually maybe talk about him a lot and get excited about him? Wouldn't you think it would be in the local church? And yet, just, just in your own conversations over the last month, just think of how many deep, intimate, personal fellowship conversations that you had that have drawn you closer to the Savior. And I'm not saying we can't talk about football. I like football. I'm not saying we, can, we can't talk about knitting. Just don't talk about knitting to me. I won't have much to say. Or any of our hobbies. We can talk about those things. I'm just saying, where does Jesus Christ fit? Is he a priority? Is he of interest to you? Or, or do you want to just talk like lots of religious people talk about f- faith and, you know, just these nebulous terms that really nobody wants to define. You know, it's, it's always interesting, you know, as I, as I sit on planes and I talk to people about their spiritual background, I can almost tell within a minute if they're saved or not. And, and it's not always the case. I'm not always correct as I find out, but typically if they start talking about being a good person, being a moral person, doing this, the, you know, faith, God, just generically, I can almost tell that they don't want to talk about Jesus Christ. You know, saved people want to talk about Jesus Christ. When we're in fellowship with the Lord, we want to talk about Jesus Christ because fellowship means that we're abiding in Christ, that we're occupied with Jesus Christ. And so that's going to naturally spill out. And who better to talk about than Jesus Christ? Look what he did for us. Look what he continues to do through us. And so it's something to be excited. We're not talking about fellowshipping, about hobbies. We're not about just getting together and hanging out. We're talking about meaningful, life-changing, refreshing, medicinal refreshment, fellowship around the Lord. That's what we're talking about here. Again, we've got something much greater to talk about, especially than the Falcons this year. They're not even doing well, you know, so we got a lot of things better to talk about. Not the Cowboys, they're not doing much better. We see this third participle, and this is uh, where I think it's, it's really important because it's the result of being exposed to and each of us individually responding to the word of God. There's personal individual fellowship with the Lord. This is a direct outflow of being in one accord, knowing the direction that Jesus Christ wants us to march and to go, and then responding to that. There's fellowship. Jesus, you value this. Okay, I value this. Jesus, you want to go this direction? Okay, I'm going to go this direction. Jesus, you want this? Okay, I want that. And, and it, funny, Ross brings up that song because uh, please don't send me to Africa. I remember where I was when I first heard that song and just, and just thinking, you know, that is how many of us approach our life. Lord, I'll do anything. Those of you that haven't heard the song, it's really funny. He's like, I'll do anything, but please don't send me to Africa. <laughs> which means you won't do anything, right? And so the mindset is like, Lord, what's your will? I just want your will. Where are you going? That's where I want to go. 
What would you be involved in, Lord? That's what I want to be involved in. Instead of making plans for my own life, doing my own little thing, why do we, why do we even pursue that passage? It just leads to misery. It just leads to frustration. It just leads to discontentment. It leads to a million different things. And so when believers are pursuing the same things as the Lord, there's no greater position on earth. You will not be happier. You will not experience more joy. You will not experience more fulfillment. You will not experience more contentment than when you are smack dab in the middle of the will of God, knowing what it is that he wants to accomplish in and through your life. That's where we want to be. Who cares about, I mean, ultimately, I don't want to offend anybody, but who cares about your goals and dreams? I, I care about Jesus' goals and dreams for you. That's, that's what I would like to see. I care about Jesus' goals and dreams for me. We need to reframe the way we think about life because as 2 Corinthians 5 says, we want to live for the one who died for us and rose again. That's where our life has meaning, when we're doing exactly what he'd have us do. And so a sense of purpose is realized. We know that true joy and pleasure in this life are only found in fellowship with the Lord. Well, I'm assuming. I mean, we do know that, right? I mean, it it starts conceptually knowing that, like knowing that the Bible actually says that, but do we know it in reality? Because I've spent my life disagreeing with that verse. Because, you know, for me, it was, well, as soon as I'm done with high school, then I can really enjoy the Lord. And I, and I play baseball. As soon as I make my first millions, I, I can really enjoy the Lord. And as soon as I graduate from college, because college was such a bird, I can really enjoy the Lord. And as soon as I get married, I can really enjoy the Lord. And as soon as I have my first kid, I can really start enjoying the Lord. And as soon as all the kids leave the home, I can really start enjoying the Lord. Right? And, and, and it's always that carried out. No, no, you can enjoy the Lord right now. Whatever's going on in your life wherever you're at in life. Because fellowship with the Lord, Psalm 1611 tells us, is in his presence, there is fullness of joy. And in his right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. You want true pleasure in this life? It's not gonna be found outside of Jesus Christ. You can take any, any pleasure and put it on the table. Doesn't compare. Doesn't compare to fellowship with Jesus Christ. And so this is the point here. Now, Here's a big picture question. So what? Who cares about anything that I've said this morning so far? Who cares? Well, here's the question. So what, what happens when believers are not in one accord? What happens when they've got different agendas, different missions, different goals, different focus? What, what happens when they've got a different mindset than the early church? when they don't value the teaching of the word of God, when they consider gathering together in fellowship with the saints as something optional in their life, who cares? Why is that a big deal? Can't people, aren't people free to make those choices? Yeah, they are free to make those choices, but there are gonna be consequences for those choices. And I don't mean you're, I mean, hell's off the table for the believer in Jesus Christ. We're not talking about that. We're talking about consequences in fellowship. We're talking about consequences in usefulness. We're talking about consequences even internally and emotionally in your own life. There's going to be consequences when God has put stuff in place that we just blow off. And we're going to look at really three areas here this morning. We could look at a lot more of where if you're thinking this way, you're exposed. If, if you relate to anything that we're about to talk about, then, then you're exposed. You're not thinking. In other words, what I mean by that is your thinking is exposed as being unbiblical. You're not thinking biblical. And, and so the message for you or me this morning is when we're thinking that way, we need to change our mind. 
We need to align our thinking with the word of God. We need to value what God values, trusting in his process, trusting in the way that he wants to accomplish true community and our body. And this first way that we're exposed uh, is if you're a lone wolf Christian. And what do I mean by lone wolf? I I think it'll be pretty explanatory, but let's kind of develop that a little bit more. You know that some people have given up on the community of the local church? Maybe, Maybe you're there today. Maybe, maybe you've given up on the local church. You're just like, nah, take it or leave it. You know, local church is full of failure. That's, I just, I can't stand watching these, these hypocrites leading the church. I can't stand this. I, they don't have a lack of pure vision. They're all distracted by, you know, keeping the building clean and keeping pine straw in the, you know, by the bushes. They don't even care about real ministry. I mean, look at them. They're down there finishing out the basement. That money could have been used for missions. There's, you know, there's all sorts of criticisms that can come in and we're giving up on the local church. Oh, they're not, you know, they've got this evangelism method. Well, that's not the best method. They should be doing this. And so I'm not even going to involve myself with there. And so what ends up happening with lone wolf Christians, it just becomes easier to complain, to criticize, to point out faults and failures, and eventually ostracize yourself from the local church. That's what happens to a lone wolf Christian. In fact, they convince themselves they're, they're self-deceived because it's anti-Bible. What I'm, what I'm describing is not what God has in mind for you. Dear believer, that is not the type of existence that he wants for you because they, it, we have convinced ourselves, if we are thinking to say that we're better off on our own, not associating with all those idiots over there in that building. We're better off on our own. We're better off doing things on our own because we'll actually accomplish true ministry apart from all of those yahoos in that building. And do you know how many people consistently are buying into that thinking? Over and over and over again. See, this heart attitude, if this is your heart attitude, you're exposed this morning as thinking unbiblically. And I'll tell you how it shows up. It's going to show up in lack of engagement in local church ministry. That's how it's going to show up. And it may creep in subtly, and there may be ways that we can justify this. But what we're going to see is that um, the people that are thinking this way have no value for physical in-presence church attendance. No value for it at all. Take it or leave it. Optional. I just don't feel like going. Had a busy night last night. I think I'm going to sleep in. You know, if, if you had a busy night the night before you had tickets to your favorite entertainment event, would you just give up those tickets? You'd be like, nah, I had a busy night. I don't think I'm going to go to the football game, the play, the this, that. No. In fact, those of you that have kids in sports, if it was raining outside and their, so- and their soccer game was still on, you know what we would do as parents? We'd get out with umbrellas and we'd watch little Johnny play soccer. But sometimes we look out the window on Sunday morning and we're like, oh, threatening rain. I think I'm going to stay home today. And it just, it just exposes the value to, to say that that's optional. And again, I'm, I am really trying to be sensitive not to be legalistic here. I, I, I am not, I mean, trust me, I'm not legalistic. I'm not thinking that. I'm just talking about heart attitudes. That's all. And that's between you and the Lord. It's not between me and you. That's a heart attitude. Is this how you view church? Is this how you view your presence at church? It's optional. I don't, I don't yeah, take it or leave it. Psh, you know, how am I feeling today? Whether or not I'll, I'll come. 
See, it's a hard attitude. And see, there's something that God wants to do through your time in the local church. In fact, one of the most popular passages for this, but let's read it, Hebrews 10, 24 through 25, we read this. And let us consider, another, uh, consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. You see, the day is approaching. It's closer today than it was when the book of Hebrews was written. So why do believers, why is that mindset crept into the church that we can forsake or the idea of that word has leave behind, to leave in a lurch, to desert, to abandon? In fact, when, when you've ever made a decision to just, you know, if you've ever thought this way, say, ah, I can take it or leave it. Have you ever taken into consideration the word of God that says that when you do that, you are abandoning your brothers and sisters in the local church? Now, why, why does he use such strong language there? Because God actually has a purpose for each individual part. He wants us all functioning because as we function together, it builds up his church. And guess what Jesus is about? Building his church. It all goes back to that. So when we're not functioning in our gift and we're like, ah, take it or leave it, we're actually abandoning the very thing that God has designed you for as a believer. He's created you in Christ Jesus for good works that he's prepared beforehand for you to walk in them, Ephesians 2.10. And he wants to use that in the local church to build up the body of Christ. See, God's got a much bigger purpose in mind just, than just whether or not you want to roll out into the rain on Sunday. He's got bigger things that he wants to do. And you might say, well, he's not doing anything in this local church. I guarantee he's doing things in this local church. How can I be so confident? Because Jesus Christ is building his church. We're preaching his word. We're communicating a gospel. We're teaching people that they can be saved and they can keep their salvation, not based on their behavior, but based on the finished work of Jesus Christ. Those are all exciting messages, the gospel of grace. And so he wants to use each one of us. And so if this has crept into your thinking, you're thinking unbiblically that your presence has no value, that you can take it or leave it. Some other areas of thinking biblically for the lone wolf Christian is the only ministry they're interested in is the one that they're in charge of. They don't even know that there's other ministries going on in church. In fact, the world revolves around their little ministry. That's the only ministry they care about. That's a lone wolf Christian. Everyone should be joining their ministry. And that's the way that we think that creeps into our thinking oftentimes. We've mentioned this, but they consider that the local church is optional, doesn't really add anything to them. And then finally, they view their ministry as separate and distinct from the local church. Like they, could, they don't need the local church. They're going to do their ministry anyways. And it's this, it's this issue of just separation. I'm going to accomplish things whether I'm involved in the local church or not. I'm just going to do whatever I want to do. And that's that mindset that we need to guard against. That is exposing the fact that we're not interested in true community the way Jesus Christ designed it. See, God's got value in the day-to-day engagement with believers in the local church. Question for you. How can you consistently engage in the one another's of Scripture if you're never around anyone? You don't see anyone. And oh, that, how can they one another you? How can they minister to you? It, it can't happen unless there's physical presence. And I know that there's lots of sermons online, and I know that there are even online congregations they're coming up with now. 
God has something special designed in presence for believers. Not only do you, do you come together and, and get taught the word of God and learn about grace, but then when you sit next to somebody difficult, you have to actually exercise grace. What better place to find out how to respond to difficult people than to come to the local church? Full of prickly pears, if we're being honest with ourselves. And guess what? As you learn to deal with difficult people sitting next to you in the pew, guess who else you learn to deal with? Your difficult spouse, your difficult kids, your difficult boss. And you've got a a, a great opportunity to, to not only learn the grace of God, but then to apply it in your life. And there's rubbing shoulders that happens here that can't happen anywhere else. We got two more things to talk about. I, I'm going to fly. Let's fly. Another thing that exposes a lack of desire for true community is gossip. In churches where there's not much community, I will guarantee that gossip is rampant. And we talk about gossip. For some, it's just easier to be negative, nitpicky, exploring, discussing other people's faults and failures than to be part of the solution. And by the way, this is what the world does. This is why we have gossip columns. This is why we have entire news agencies that all they do is this. And and they're top sellers. People go out of their way to keep up with the gossip that's going on in the world. We, we, We just lust after information about others. We just, we have this insatiable desire to, to know what's going on with others. And I think if many of us are honest, the only reason we accept some friend requests on Facebook is so that we can keep up on information about other people, not in a good way, <laughs> to monitor when they do something or say something stupid or post some picture that we wouldn't approve of. And we do that all the time. We lust for information so that we can share it with others. You know that gossip is a work of the flesh. And you know that when we sin, it automatically produces death. That's the automatic outcome every time that's engaged in. It's the consequence every time. Even when you just listen to gossip, you're complicit in the behavior. In fact, you encourage the gossip to continue. This means that in the church of Jesus Christ, when gossip is engaged in, whether implicitly or complicitly, you're destroying the very fellowship that Jesus Christ is attempting to build. You you are setting yourself in direct opposition to Jesus Christ. Can you, like, we got to take this serious. This This is rampant in every church that I've ever been in in my entire life. It is rampant. And we do it in such subtle ways. And I knew of a, of a guy, he was a buddy of mine, and his, his wife could not stop gossiping about him to every other woman in the church. Now, how do you think that made him feel coming to church on Sunday morning? If you had to guess. Yeah, he didn't want to be there. Yeah. Because not only did, was the gossip going on about him, but then what was he going to do? Go to every woman and correct the story? That's just going to create a bigger problem. So he just had to sit there and take it. And you know, that's an extreme example, but you know that we, we engage in those things without even subtly knowing because we're all interested in this information. There's something about a juicy detail that we just can't, we just can't let go. We just got to have it. We got to know. Something happens in the church, and, and, and you know what? We want the real story. Hey, tell, do you know what really, ha- what really happened? It's none of your business what really happened. That, 
Can, can we be honest with each other? It's none of your business. It is absolutely none of your business unless that person wants to make it your business. So move on with life. Move on with Jesus Christ. Enjoy him instead of all the salacious gossip and garbage that we're so interested in that we can't get enough of. Because lust never satisfies. It's always a little bit more. Okay, I got the juicy information from over here. I got the juicy information, and then I just want more, and I just want more, and I just want more. Trust me, do yourself a favor. It will help you in your spiritual growth. Reject gossip. Don't participate in it. Shut it down. It doesn't need to be communicated in the body of Christ. By the way, you cannot be neutral on this issue. You're either for it or you're against it. And so where do you stand? That's, that's the reality of it. We need to take this serious. This is destroying true community in churches, and it could destroy it here. And we don't want to see that happen. We don't want to see that happen. We've got something special here by the grace of God, and we want to keep it that way. Clicks. We could go on and on. Let me just bring this up. For most people, it's, it's natural to be drawn to people who are most like us. That's, that's easy. They share our interests. They share our hobbies. We have similar personalities. We have similar convictions. We school our kids the same way. We do this. We go here. We do. I mean, there's lots of easy ways to start getting into cliques. This is a temptation that just leads to hanging out with people who are most like us. And I will just challenge you with this question. First of all, this is not a biblical concept, and I'll tell you why. 1 Corinthians 12, Jesus Christ has given different gifts in the, in the church, diversity that can, that can actually be unified. See, that's something the world cannot do. That is, that is something the world cannot do. As if I, a cowboy fan, show up at a bar with a bunch of redskin fans, that's not going to go well. There's diversity, but there's not going to be unity. Jesus Christ can take different people, different socioeconomic status, different backgrounds, different interests, and we can all come together in fellowship around the Lord Jesus Christ. It's incredible. Some of my good friends, they're car mechanics. I, I, I know how to put a key in the car and start it. I, that's all I know how to do. I've got a good friend of mine that's a, a painter, and the only painting I want to do is watercolor once in a while with one of, when my kids were little. I don't want to paint a house. That's the last thing I'd want to do. But you know what? We have great fellowship because it's around Jesus Christ. One question to consider as we stop today. Do you talk to the same people at church that you talk to throughout the week? Do you talk to the same, the same people at church that you only talk to throughout the week? What about all the rest of the people that you see in this room. See, there's opportunities here. There's opportunities to break out of this mindset. In fact, if you talk to somebody during the week, I used to have a friend I went to church with, and we purposely, we talked all week long, we purposely avoided each other on Sunday so that we could talk to other people. I already know what he thinks. I already know what's going on in his life. I I know, and if I don't, I'll call him tomorrow. I'll figure it out tomorrow. I want to talk to the people I only bump into on Sunday. I don't know what's going on in their life. I want to benefit from what God's teaching them. And so we see that these types of things just expose a lack of true community. And let me just fly through there. It's an epidemic. The world, the world acts, the way the world acts simply shows us that we're not walking by means of the Spirit. If we're acting the same way as the world, we're not walking by means of the Spirit. This should not feel the same 
as a local restaurant. This shouldn't feel the same as your workplace. It should be unique and better. It should be unique and more special than that. It exposes where we truly are, does not allow us to live life in a self-deceptive way. Do we care about the health and growth of the church of Jesus Christ? Do we care about the community that he wants to build? And those are questions just to kind of consider as we, we part this morning. Let's close with a word of prayer. Lord, thanks for your word. We do, we, we do, Lord. We long for true community. We want to know what that looks like. We know that you've got something special and unique designed for us. Many of us in this room, we need, we need a change. Well, I wouldn't say many. I'd, I'd say me oftentimes, Lord, and assume others struggle. But we need, we need a change in thinking. We need a change in the way that we view things. Uh, we want to view things the way that you want us to. We don't want to be trapped in the way we've always seen things. And we want to we learn what it means to, to study your word and adjust our thinking according to it, to, to actually stop worrying about what everyone else is doing and start to take heed to ourselves and what you're teaching us. And we pray by your grace we'd be able to do this more consistently. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.